Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Howdy, you are listening to episode 67 of the Howie Games, part A, coming to you this week from northwestern South Africa, almost on the Botswana border, a little game reserve called Medique, where the Howie Games is having a bit of a holiday and hopefully nothing eats the pickle or the big penguin. Okay. What a show we've got coming your way this week. It features a man by the name of Ben Graham, whose sporting story, well, few can match it. Ben played 219 games of AFL footy for Geelong. He played in a grand final loss to Carlton in 1995, eventually retiring in 2004. But instead of hanging up the boots, Ben then went to the United States of America, where he played in the NFL. Yeah, the NFL for the New York Jets, the New Orleans Saints, the Arizona Cardinals, where our man played in Super Bowl 43 and then finished off at the Detroit Lions. How about them apples? So many lost and left behind. No one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes But Benny didn't just roll up to training with the Jets, punt a few footies and live the dream. Uh-uh. The reality of life in the NFL is a very, very different story. It's a business where your contract can rely on one, one single play. Enjoy the great man, Benny Graham. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try with me we want to reach Mount Zion. Headphones on. No, no headphones. Uh, Benny Graham, welcome to the Howie Games. I'm really excited about having a chat with you, mate. How are you going? Yeah, good, Howie. How are you? How you been? Yeah, I've been keeping out of trouble. Um, we've been trying to... Um, well, this has been probably a year and a half in the making. Um, you've been travelling around, I've been travelling around, so I'm really looking forward to it, mate. You've had an, a... Uh, You've had an incredible sporting journey, reflecting on it now. Well, yeah, yeah, I have. And, look, you've done some wonderful interviews on this podcast. I, I guess I'm down the list a little no. bit, so that's why it's taken so long. Well, it's not because uh, <laughs> I reckon I approached you at the end of Series 1, so, um, yeah, I don't think you're that far down the list because you've got a remarkable story. How do you reflect on it now before we get stuck into it, that you've reached such a high level in two sports in two countries? Well, yeah, it is. It is uh, when I do reflect on it and, and it doesn't live with me day to day, but when I'm reminded of it or when the kids want to talk about it, obviously we spent eight years over there, so it was a fantastic journey, but it all seemed like so long ago hmm. now. Mm. 45 years old this year, uh, retired from the AFL 14 years ago, um, but, you know, look, I can honestly say... Um, Growing up, I had no intention of playing NFL or moving overseas. It was all about <laughs> getting the most out of my, my AFL career. So the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs and the triumphs and the fails uh, all brings me to where we are today. But, you know, very happy, content, got a beautiful family, uh, some great memories and... Um, I guess we'll explore some of that now. We will, and and through a mutual friend of um, ours, Craig Hutchison, I I got to see you in the States um, 
and Hutchie explained to me a bit at the time that it's not all, you know, from the outside looking in, you went over there, you could kick a footy, bang, all of a sudden you're playing in the NFL, which we'll explore, but it's a very, very different story in reality to the one that probably a lot of people have heard. Yeah, well, it's so unique. Uh, there was only Darren Bennett before me. Uh, Matt McBriar was in the league but came through a different path. So as I could only really lean on what Darren had experienced. So everything was new. Every single decision or philosophy around sport and the industry and the business of sport, um, it was a hugely eye-opening experience. Um, and, look, I got to share part of that with Hutchie. I mean, we our paths, our journeys have mirrored each other somewhat. Mm. I was starting football in Geelong. He was starting journalism career. <laughs> um, the same year we found ourselves in New York. I'm trying to get into the NFL. He's branching out, launching Croc Media in New York um, and spent a significant amount of time together over there. Um, and now we're both back and and doing our thing. But, uh, look, he's, he's been good to me over the journey. And um, But, yeah, we'll... we'll uh, there's certainly some great times that we had, especially in the in in the states. But it was, I guess, the Super Bowl playing in the Super Bowl really, really capped it off. Which I can't wait to get to. But there's a bit before that talking about Hutchie. Um, oh, you may not recall this. I don't know why, but it was Australia Day. I was staying with him in New York, and you were there, and we were playing a game of backyard cricket but on the streets oh, of yeah. New York, and it was so bitterly cold. It was an Aussie themed pub situation but yep. I remember playing cricket with you out on the streets of Manhattan yeah yeah that was <laughs> that was uh, that's one of the surreal moments that you're you're in a pub and you know they get a couple of rubbish bins and someone's got a cricket bat they take it off the shelf I think it was yeah. on display it was and you know you've got a narrow little street there and people are coming out of nowhere wondering what you're doing and you're looking up and you've got these tall buildings with people hanging out the windows and you've got 15 people in the slips and <laughs> everyone lining up to have a bowl and it was cold and there was plenty of beer uh, yeah. available but it was just you know it was it was an Aussie moment yeah. in, in downtown New York that yeah that was <laughs> fun they've look they they're the moments that you look back and you think, wow, it's something that you never thought you'd ever do. And, you know, really, you know, we're talking about it now. They're, they're important parts of the journey. Yeah, well, the journey itself. So you, did you grow up in Geelong? Yes, yes, I did. I was I a was, uh, Geelong boy, lived in Leopold all my life. So were the Cats um, your team? Well, they were my second team. Really? That's well, a rarity in Geelong, Well, baby. oh, so... <sighs> Without spending too much time on this, my grandfather played over 200 games for South Melbourne. Right, I didn't know that. Yeah, so when... What was his name? Jack Graham. Right. So when, uh, in 81, when the Swans moved to Sydney, you know, we'd watch them every Sunday and, and they were our second favourite team. But also around that time um, when I started getting into footy, um, a old man, Peter Walker was mates with a old man who played for Geelong and he hosted a grand final day when Collingwood were playing Carlton and Mario Bortolotto was was a, was a Geelong Leopold boy and <laughs> played. So anyway, everyone was barracking for Carlton, so my brother and I decided to um, barrack for Collingwood on that particular day and, of course, we got ribbed by everyone that, you know, barracking for Collingwood. Anyway, they, they got beaten, but we thought we'd stick with them. So I sort of, so I was a Collingwood supporter, followed Peter Dacos um, right up through 
until um, they won the premiership in 1990. And was he the man? Was he? Was who, yeah, who he was, was your hero. He was my favourite player. Yeah. Right. And uh, but I always barracked for Geelong. Always went to Kidinya Park and watched the games and 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 had the Sydney Swans as my second team. So I sort of had three teams. Okay. Um, but it wasn't until I was playing for Geelong in the under-19s against Collingwood that I switched allegiances for good. <laughs> so when you're growing up, obviously um, there's a lot of legends and rumours and stories about you, but obviously you're a big kick of the footy. Was that, uh, as a young bloke in the schoolyard, were you at that level that you could kick further than the other kids or not? Well... I didn't really appreciate it until one particular day at school when we were just having a kick to kick and we had a, you know, longest kick competition, I guess. We were just kicking back and forth, kicking torps, and we kept going back and back and back. And I got onto one and it went over the the heads of the boys up the other end, went over the fence and landed on the Safeway supermarket roof. (laughs) Holy moly. You know, it was like maybe I... I can kick further than everybody, but I. It wasn't How was the reaction in the schoolyard? Oh, it was pretty cool. Right. So no one could kick. Go. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. So it was, you know, that, I was probably fifteen, but I didn't go through puberty until I was sixteen and a half, seventeen. Right. I was a really late developer. Even when I got drafted, they said like, we got a project player here. He's a local kid. He might take some time, um, and that's exactly what what I was. Um, so drafted in in '92, just in that in that period where zoning was going out and the lists were still 52, so they could afford to have mm-hmm. some some young skinny developing players on their list, um, and of course drafted into a an almighty Geelong team through that era. With so you were drafted at the end of '92. Uh, the beginning. Beginning of us. Yeah, so 92 was my first season. Well, they played in a grand final that year, the Cats, yes. and they would have got rolled by West Coast. Yes. So what was it like walking in there as a young bloke? And that would have been Brownless and Gary Ablett and yeah. Superstars Couch and... Yeah, Bairstow and Hocking and... Like, it was a, it was an amazing... It was an amazing era, really, um, but... Different to kids getting drafted now, I had no intention, no ambition really to play. I was just on a list and lucky to be on a list. I back then, um, I played in the under 19s with a year to run, but then it changed to the under 18s, so I lost that final year. So I was driving back from uni, um, listening to the radio. <laughs> And uh, listening for the draft results, and they said with the first pick, um, they picked up um, Tim McGrath from North Melbourne. Second pick, relisted um, Gary Phillips, and with a th- with the third pick, and I'm thinking if they don't read out my name here, I'm just going back to play Leopold to play local <laughs> footy. Nearly drove off the road when they read out my name. So do you expect um, to get read out, or you didn't? No, no, well not. It was only at that moment that I thought, well, if I don't get read out... Because there, there were some guys that had come up and were listed through the under-19s and, as I said, through that back end of the zoning time. So a lot of guys I played with, like David Mench and Peter Riccardi, they were just already on the list. Huh. So that was sort of the moment. But but as I said, being there at that age with those players, I didn't walk in thinking, I'm going to play seniors next week. I played all 92 in the, in the reserves, um... Played all 93 in the reserves bar around 21 when I was picked for my first game. How was your first game? Yeah, well, it was 
it was amazing. It was at Kenya Park. It was against Essendon. It was not the back end of '93. Uh, Geelong had to win the last six games to make it, and we'd won four, and we're playing Essendon at home, and who ended up get, going on to win the thing. Very important this match here at Cadinia Park. Geelong must win its remaining two games to be a part of the 93 finals action. Couch. So I played on Paul Salmon in my first game. Um, yeah, we had a good win. You know, I played okay. He kicked, you know, a goal when he was in the ruck. So, to, you know, I was playing fullback. <laughs> so it wasn't against you? <laughs> no, well, it was. I came in as a replacement for Stephen O'Reilly. Okay. Um, but, but so, yes, everyone remembers their first game, but... I also remember the second game that I almost never got because the next week we went to Perth to play West Coast and I'm in my um, hotel room the morning of the game and Malcolm Blight comes in and says, uh, listen, Ben, uh, Riles is healthy, so you're going to miss out. But be disappointed, but don't be disillusioned. And he walked out. So... And, and I didn't think of it much at the time. Yeah, I, I didn't get a game, but we went on to win the game and had a great night that night. And ultimately, we didn't make the finals and I didn't get to play another game that year. But what he said was something that stuck with me right through my career and, and especially when we went to the States, that there were a lot of disappointments, but the fact that you need to stick to your task and, and don't be disillusioned by what may or may not happen was really good advice back then. But in 94, um, I played seven games. So in my first three years, I'd only played eight games, still developing and learning my craft. And, and then Ezzy came along and sat a f- bunch of us down and said, right, we're going on a new direction and we w- I want to play you guys all year and see how we go. And I played every game in 95 and sort of kick-started my career. So when you walked into that club, obviously there's some for footy fans. There's some fascinations about those names that we mentioned, but there's no greater fascination than Gary Ablett Senior. Probably still in the footy world today. You know, the day he comes into Howie Games will be the day the whole show just blows up <laughs> to a whole another operation. Ablett, the left foot in towards full forward. Brown was waited at the back. Taps back to Ablett. He could complete a miraculous goal. What were your first dealings with Gaz? Did he know your name? You know, like, how was the great man you when know you were a young, story? skinny bloke? Hey? Oh, that, no, so, I don't. So, look, we, yeah, we, uh, growing up in Geelong, he was like the superstar. But funnily was. enough, I mean, even though I touched on Collingwood, Geelong, and, and, and Sydney, I wore Tony Lockett's St Kilda jumper with number four on the back. Right. Um, so he, he, he was, but walking in there with Gary, uh, the first interaction I had with him, I was in the physio room and we were just sitting on the benches and they came around with those bios. We had to fill out the bios and I thought it was pretty cool for, you know, I got to write my name and my date of birth and my favourite movie and pet and Best all, cook the, the whole, you know, as, as they were, as they are. So I'm nearly finished. But what was so cool about it, I was sitting next to Gary Ablett doing his. So I've looked over at his and he was stuck on... Like he'd written Gary Ablett and he was stuck on nickname. <laughs> and so he sort of was, and he asked, what, what, what should I write here? <laughs> and I'm just a bright eyed kid, walked into the joint. Oh, well, uh, Gaza, S- uh, Superman, God. God. Oh. <laughs> do you reckon you can do that? Do you reckon you can put God in there? So then he turned to me and gave me the, the uh, read me the. 
Right act around about the religious yes, connotations yes, because he, he was a, a yes, religious man. Yes, right. Yeah. So that was my first. That was my first interaction. My, se- my second interaction was only a week later when um, the cheer squad used to run a sausage sizzle after training, and you know I thought it was pretty cool because young Nathan and Gary were there and we we walked out together and and he said, oh, you can't spot us a couple of bucks, can you, for the boys to grab a sausage? So. You know, I've yeah, paid for it, and one of the other boys said, well, you never see that again. And I sort of laughed, and I said, well, you know what? I don't care, because I can tell everyone that Gary Ablett owes me four bucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you bought Gary Ablett Jr. and Nath yep. a, a couple of sausages. Look, I say that in, in, in good fun. That was my first sort of couple right. of interactions with Gary. And um, look, there's many, many stories about, about Gary Sr., but I did watch the junior, Gary Jr. and Nathan grow up they spent a lot of time around the footy club and what was uh, little gary like oh he was an amazing kid just always had a footy in his hand <laughs> and he was in and under all everyone around the club and because of gary ablett senior he just had the right away <laughs> um even on the bus going to the game and coming home from the game there were times when gary ablett senior um wouldn't find his way to the bus so we had to look after the boys back to geelong and <laughs> take him home and Sort them out, but no. Look, that was a great. It was a, it was a great era. But as I said, I, I didn't. Not that I didn't take footy seriously, but it wasn't. I wasn't in a hurry to to play because the environment at the time was just pure development. Um, They're an incredibly exciting team too, Benny. There's a lot of discussions, obviously, at the moment about the way the games played. That. You didn't have to go for Geelong on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon to turn the telly on and watch them because you never knew that they might clock up 200-plus points. Like, they were an exciting... Must have been a great team to play for when they were flying the Cats. Yeah, yeah, well, the early. Um, and I, know I wasn't necessarily playing a lot of those huge big wins and big scores, but big personalities, you know, great, great players. But I guess the ultimate was they were never able to get it done... 89, 92, 94. The way we played changed a little bit when Airsie came on, but we still made the grand final in 95. Which you played in? Which, yeah, we played in. And, you know, looking back, obviously Carlton were only lost two games for the year and were the best team in it that year. What's your memories of grand final day? Well, pretty uh, pretty good. Um, played on Stephen Kernahan and he kicked five. <laughs> I, uh, you know, but I, you know, I battled on and right. and um, was proud of my performance. That was just the weight of numbers. They they ended up getting us by about ten goals. I think they were six goals, four or five, six goals up a quarter time before we had a chance to blink. But again, when you hear people say you're playing the grand final and the Geelong had played in three of the last previous six, you think it's just going to happen again mm. and again and again, and never, never had that opportunity for the rest of my career but went through a period at Geelong where we weren't as successful so only um you know played off in the finals you know 95 97 2000 um, 2004 so it was quite a um you know an, an interesting era we didn't have a lot of success but obviously from 2007 I mean I left at the end of 2004 you know they the foundations were built 
yeah, to have that successful era. era. I'll ask you about it because you're the only bloke in the world that's going to be able to answer these questions comparing the AFL Grand Final to the Super Bowl because in itself that's an extraordinary statement that you played in both. And we'll get to the Super Bowl, but um, what's it like to lose an AFL Grand Final? The siren goes. What are your memories of that? Well, the game was done and dusted. You know, they were party time for them. Mm. Um, so how they, tough's that playing out a game you know you're about to lose? Well, but it was... I mean, we all fought it to, to the end. Mm. But, yeah, disappointment. Um, you know, but that... You process it pretty quickly because then you move into the the post-grand final functions and, you know, you, and, and, so it... I can't remember it lingering, those feelings lingering for very long. Um, but but at the time, and playing in an AFL grand final, the grand final parade and the lead-up to the game and the the game itself, I mean, it's the packed MCG playing on grand final day. That's that's the pinnacle of, of an AFL player. That's what you strive for. Um, but we weren't good enough on the day. As a man that's listened to these podcasts, you'll be aware of uh, probably that my kids ask questions throughout. And you've met uh, Pickle and Big Penguin as we came in because mum's in Bali and we're not. Um, so they often put a question to the guests and you've met them and the way up in the car, they a million questions. So why did he play for Geelong? Why didn't he play for the Hawks? Was Mackie's first question. And, you know, what's it like being American and how did he get that? So you, you've got the first question early in the show. It doesn't normally come early from the Penguin, Benny, um, because it's a relevant topic. So... Here is your question from the Big Penguin. Hi, Benny. Big Penguin here. When I kick a drop punt, it goes at least 15 metres. How big was your biggest kick ever? He's fascinated, mate. He's fascinated because his biggest kick can get <laughs> over the trees into the next-door neighbours. And you've kicked a legendary kick, but in your mind, what's the biggest uh, distance you've ever kicked the footy? Well, I was lucky under Blighty where he loved the torpedo. He gave everybody the licence to kick one and if you get onto it for the first time you can kick it for the rest of the day but if you shank it, put it away. Right. So I, I was able to practice it, um, bring it into the games and even when Airsie um, was coaching 95 kicking out from fullback if the time was right and the time of the game I was given the licence to kick it. So there was one day at Witten Oval where um, the wind was howling from the south and I got onto some ripper. I don't, that game I don't think was filmed. Right, <laughs> right, right. But there was a game later on um, against Port Adelaide mm-hmm. at Cadinia Park when I was kicking out from fullback and it was and uh, we had a, a, a good margin. It was time on in the first quarter and it took up the ball in my hand and it just felt right. <laughs> <laughs> the kick of the year of the decade. Ben Graham's prodigious punt against the power. Oh, look at that! It's a world record. Oh, unbelievable it's kick. half the length of the ground. Over the centre circle. The mark taken by Lane. It's 105 metres. i tell you what, this ground. we will come out and measure that during the week. Mark where he's kicked it. OK, stop there. That's the mark, Ben. How, how far was that? Uh, 85.4 metres. So I launched into one and... Um, yeah, it went over the centre and Brendan Laid marked it, um, but the siren went. Um, it felt good. Jeez, it felt good. But they made me 
get a little trundle wheel and 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 measure it <laughs> <laughs> on the Monday. So that was measured at about eighty seven, uh, eighty seven meters. So that that was the longest recorded. One because I reckon in the call they might have claimed it as 105. Yeah, minutes, I, I reckon. Well, my young, my young Jack, he uh, from time to time he loves YouTube. He watches some, yep. and you know if he YouTube's me, he gets the 105 meter kick on on YouTube, um, and the next one is the is the uh, Sesame Street. Right, <laughs> right. The, the Sesame Street uh, experience. It's Eric Mancini, Chad Paddington. Lavernius Coles and Ben Graham from the New York Jets? Really? Wow. <laughs> Would you like to train with us? Train? He means practice. If you want to get really good at football, Omar, uh-huh. you have to practice. There's another one. <laughs> I was watching it last night with the Big Penguin um, where you kicked a goal late in the game and Brian Taylor, who's just a genius in commentary for mine, was calling it... Um, and he said something along the lines of, get to the NFL now. Benny Graham. He has gone. He has launched a monster drop punt. And the Cats fans love it. That was 80 metres. Go to the NFL now, Ben. Yeah, that, that, well, that was, um, that was in the 200th game, I think. We'll play Adelaide at Cadinia Park. And I went forward and it took a mark inside the square. And oh, I was it was I was egged on a little bit. I could feel a crowd just <laughs> yeah. launch into one. So I thought, oh well. Um, so and I did. I absolutely ripped it. And but it went high as high as it did long. I went through for a point, but um, that certainly made the tape when I sent it over to the states um, because it had some reasonable hang time, uh, which is all important in the NFL. But yeah, definitely that piece of commentary with that piece of vision was used on, on my resume. <laughs> I bet <laughs> well, 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 I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Brian know that. Before we get to your first dealings with the NFL, mate, you became captain of the Geelong Footy Club, which no doubt was a very proud um, moment for you. What did you learn about leadership and leading a group of people, which is what in some ways you would have had to do there? Oh, absolutely. It was 2000 when Bomber Thompson first arrived at the club and um, it was. I never really saw myself as as a as the next captain, um, but it was and it's something that I, I spent a, a lot of time thinking about and working on, and to the point where I still think I never got it right. Really, um, but it was. There was times when you felt like you had to do it all on your own, and then there were times when you know you you knew that the support that you needed um, or you could lean on was was there. And that was sort of the start of, you know, the next wave of young leaders coming through. Because back then, you know, Steve Johnson and Paul Chapman and Andrew Mackey and Corey Enright, Joel Corey and Matthew Scarlett and all those, they were all coming through, finding their finding their way. Um, so it was, a, it was, it was a massive honour and something that I absolutely cherished and and you know it was hard to give up at the end of 2002 but understood the club's position mm. and um and then went on to to play my role for the for the next couple of years like a lot of veterans do when they um you know mark murphy's in the same situation yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if if he hands it over and 
um, just enjoys the last couple of years of his career. So when um, you said when you said Benny that you look back on it now and there's some things that you do differently as a forty odd year old man looking back on a twenty odd year old man, what what would you do and what have you learnt? Well, um, there were times when you know you didn't listen enough or you didn't show enough empathy or you didn't consult or bring enough people along for the journey um, and now being out of the game you understand some of those things that are important and if you knew what you know now back then mm. and some people have that innately so as I said I I I probably didn't play my best footy either while I was captain so there were some challenges in that respect but um, look, it, it was a it was a great honour. I never ever took it for granted, and you know when I do look back on my career, and you know people still ask, "Geez, if you had a stuck around, you you, you might have played in that two thousand seven grand final." Well, I have no regrets as far as all that goes because I was into my thirties by the time I retired, and um, they didn't win the flag for another three years. Mm. But all the work that we put in during that period with all those young players and building that foundation. I, I was, couldn't be prouder when they finally went on where, to win it. Where were you then? Knowing that the role that I'd played. I was in the in, in America, um, in New York, uh, cheering <laughs> as loud as I possibly could with, with my family and a few mates that I'd introduced to the game. So, yeah, uh, you know... It was oh, fantastic. So, so happy for him. It was brilliant. More of Benny in a moment. Next up on the Howie Games is dual world surfing champion Tommy Carroll, a man that's conquered a lot in his life. I didn't even know I was going to be able to get there to start off with. It wasn't towards when I got close enough to it that I could sniff it that I really believed that I could do it. Uh-huh. It wasn't like I was going from the beginning thinking, oh, I'm going to be there someday. I wasn't like one of those sort of people who had this clarity of vision from the start. It was sort of like little steps along the way that kind of, that I grabbed onto and gripped onto opportunity as I, as I moved through and slipped down, built it back up, slipped back down, built it back up. So finally getting to the top and then all of a sudden getting all this attention, uh, sometimes that gets tricky. That's Tom Carroll in the next step. Alrighty, back to Ben. When did you first have an idea in your head that there was an opportunity for blokes that could kick the footy a long way to possibly go to America? And how wild a dream was that at that point? Well, the first... Um, well, how, how, how the journey started was... And I, in 1992, I was in my first year at Geelong and... The AFL ran a longest kick competition, and because they were playing in the finals, and we had some long, big kicks in our in our team, I was just a no name that was sent up to Melbourne to represent the club because everyone else was preparing for the final series. I oh, like the grand final sprint when yeah. your team's in it. You yeah. might not be the quickest bloke there on the day, right? That's right. right. <laughs> so, as it turns out, I'd hit some bombs, and I was winning the competition. Where was the comp? It was at Campbell High School. Okay, and at with the last kick of the day, Darren Bennett beat me. Was he currently playing footy? Melbourne. Right. He was playing for Melbourne. And the winner got ticket for two um, 
to LA, flights to LA. So he used that, went over there with Rosemary and travelled around a bit, had a couple of workouts and really never came back. Like he set himself up <laughs> to embark on his NFL career. So that was pretty cool. Um, the next year, Kevin Dyson from Sydney was winning the, um, the longest kick competition and with my last kick of the day, I beat him, won the trip for two and ended up taking my brother to the States and we just toured around for for a few weeks. But it would sort of said that if Darren is, is a big kick and now he's going to the NFL, well, maybe that's something I might look at down the track. Right? Didn't think anything more of it because growing up, all I wanted to do was play AFL. So it was in 97 when I got a phone call saying that there's some NFL scouts coming to town. They're meeting with the AFL executives. They're coming to a game. Um, they want to explore a few of the Australian athletes if they've got p- the potential to come over and make it in the States. And they want to, uh, they'd like to have a chat to you. So we organised a catch up out at Leopold uh, where we had a punt. They Leopold? Leopold football ground. These boys have come from America and you've taken them to Leopold. I like it. Yeah, So, but this was, um, and I haven't told this story a lot uh, because at the time, I mean, it was all hush-hush. No one one knew about it. We were were preparing to play Collingwood at the G on the next weekend. So this was a Wednesday. Um, We'd organised it. So I've turned up and here they are. There's an entourage. They've got cameras set up on the little grandstand. They've got... The ground's been painted. There's cones everywhere. There's guys with stopwatches and clipboards. And <laughs> anyway, as it, as it goes, uh, I was hitting a few decent balls, and then you know, I started to say, well, you know, we hold it a bit different, and you know, I take an extra step, and you know, because they were expecting a robotic punter, what they've been used to, and I had no idea. I just was getting it and kicking it, and they, so they said, relaxed a little bit, and said, all right, will you start doing things your way? You you hold you, and I started roosting them. What type of footy are you using? Uh, an American ball, right. an NFL ball. I hadn't kicked one before, really. Right. Um, and I started to to really launch into them, and I could sort of see they were getting a bit excited. But the rain was starting to come in, and so we all rushed off underneath the grandstands. And at the time, it was Eric Mangini, who was the um, quality control defensive coach at the Jets was out because his brother worked for Ford in Melbourne and had coached the Q Q, um, Q Colts, I think it was, or a a Melbourne amateur gridiron team. So he knew that there were some athletes. So anyway, while we're under there, he he said, look, I think we think we've got some good potential here and we'd like to offer you a three-year deal. There? There and then. Under the grandstand at Leopold? Yeah. No. In 1997. So, what was your initial thought when you heard that? Well, it was three years, half a million dollars a year, you know, <laughs> like it was, holy, this is, I can't believe this. Um, That's extraordinary, Benny. Yeah, so it took a little while to process, but I did learn pretty quick that there were no guarantees associated with it. The contract is a futures contract and it is designed to get you over to camp where they can put you through the, your paces for over a month when there's 90 on the list and then by the end of August it's down to 53 and if you don't make it, 
you're, you're back home. And you don't get the half a meal? No, you don't. You don't get anything. Right. But this is this is happening. Training camp starts in two weeks. And you're getting ready to play for Collingwood? I'm like, getting ready against for, Collingwood? Yeah. In, my, in what would have been about my 60th game. Huh. So, and I was just... Um, put into the state of origin squad and like there was so things were happening in my AFL career. It was ninety seven was a was a um was a was a good year as far as my progression. Uh so <laughs> what happened on that particular weekend against Collingwood, I was sore as buggery later in that week after kicking <laughs> a million balls for these NFL scouts. We're at the MCG and I'm kicking out from fullback and Paul Taglebu or the CEO of the NFL and all the NFL people were there and, you know, they're being hosted by the AFL. Was it still quiet at this stage? Hadn't got out? Uh, I'd still... Never got out. Right. Not not that it really mattered, but I didn't want people to think that my, I was taking my eye off the ball here with, from my AFL career. Sorry, go on. So I was... The one particular kick that I was kicking out from fullback, I went for the torp and... I don't know whether it was work that I'd done on the Wednesday, but I kicked this ball about 100 metres in the air. Everyone was running back with the flight into the centre square to mark it. Gary Hocking ran the other way through the traffic and took a chess mark inside the 50. It went about 40 metres. <laughs> straight up. Straight up in the air. <laughs> so, so, look, I laugh about it now, but it was that was probably the time when I said, you know what, this is something that I'll definitely look at, I'll definitely do, but not until I've exhausted everything I can out of my AFL career. Can you imagine trying to keep a story like that quiet now? I remember when, was it Carmichael Hunt might have come down for a kick of the footy or something? It was one of the, it was either, maybe it was Izzy Flau, it could have been. Yeah. And she was front page news. Yeah. And you kept it all quiet in Leopold. Yeah, yeah. Did you tell anyone? Did you tell your mates? Or I don't know if you were with your... your your wife at the time? Yeah, yeah. I only in a in a sanctum, in a circle, knew knew about it. And what did but, what did your wife? Was she your wife or your girlfriend at that stage? Um, no, girlfriend. Right. What What did she think of the whole thing? Well, she wasn't really a footy person, so she she. What's her name? Sorry, Katie. Katie. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. So she. Um, oh, she was supportive. Always supportive of whatever I did, but there was no. Um, oh, I can't remember there being any pressure to say, "Oh, geez, that sounds like a great idea. Let's go." Or, yep. No, so there was no. Uh, I said I was very focused on what I was doing from an AFL perspective, but there were always from '97 right up to the end of my career, there was always you know the Brian Taylor yeah. comments, the passing comments in the street. There was always, you know, and it was always, and I always said, "Look." Yeah, I'll look at it later on. It's on the back burner now, but we'll we'll see how it all plays out. So when did it become on the front burner? What's the next step in your NFL journey? So at the end of 2004, um, there was an opportunity to... So Eric Mangini at that point became the defensive coordinator at the New England Patriots, and he'd followed the whole way, and he said, I think the time's right for you to... For you to come over and so they touch base occasionally. These guys, yeah, right, yep. okay, yep. And and at the same time, there are other clubs also interested. So as it turned out, um, 
I went over to the States at the end of 2004 after the season for a month and worked out with New England Patriots, the New York Jets, the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. What's a workout involved? What happens? A workout <clears throat> is they bring someone in for a position and they effectively put you through your paces. They, um, For a punter, you need to be able to punt directionally, out of bounds to the left, out of bounds to the right, backed up from the end zone and then midfield punting in can i can i just take you a step one step back benny what's the aim for the punter for those that don't know in a game of afl what's your job the, okay so uh, the punter is part of the defensive unit but it's you come onto the field once your offense stalls so you you get four downs and mm-hmm. if you don't move the ball 10 yards to get a first down, you come out on the fourth down to punt the ball back to the opposition. So in essence, you're trying to push them back down the field as far as possible. And by doing that, you can either kick the ball out of bounds, so that ensures that their punt returner can't gain any yardage. You try and pin them as deep as possible. So um, if, you, if the ball goes into the end zone, they automatically get it on the 20-yard line. So you want to pin them back inside the 20. But generally, they want to be able to see consistency in hang time because the the more hang time you get, the more time your coverage unit gets to run down the field to block up that space for those returners. So and the hang time is the amount of time the ball stays in the air. So in general terms, if you're kicking the ball 50 yards, you'd want five-second hang time. If you're kicking the ball 45 yards, you want 4.5 seconds hang time. And how at that stage were your early kicks stacking up to that? Well, I, I was so inconsistent. I was, I'd hit a bomb and they'd say, this is the best pun I've ever seen, and then I'd shank one off the side and they'd say, right, we've got some work to do. How many, on a, in an average, across a season, uh, how many average punts would you have in a game? Average. Average, probably four. So you've got to make the most of it. You can't be spraying two or the four or you're in a fair bit of bother. No, well, the way the industry is set up, and you learn this pretty quickly, is if you don't perform, they are bringing other punters in during the week to take your job. And if they think there's someone better out there, they will replace you. There are no, no issues with, with that at any, at any position. So now we're getting really into the gist of it. I'll get you back to where we started, but tell me then about the competitiveness and the psychological effect it has on you when you know there is a queue to the length of the Brooklyn Bridge waiting to take your job, once well, you've got the job. Yeah, well, I had to get the job first. Right. So what happened at the end of 2004 was the club were quite okay with me to go over and explore it mm-hmm. and said however long it takes we don't care if you come back in february just you know we'll be here for you so you're still a listed cats player yeah but then what had what had to happen they had to lost lodge their list at a certain point after i got back and essentially wanted me to make a decision and and that was probably the toughest period of the whole journey is making that decision there was and I, I've got no problem in saying that at the end of 2004, I probably thought I had another year left. 
and pro- all it probably took was someone to come around, knock on the door, sit down and say, look, you're a valued member of this organisation, um, you've got a lot to offer, you've come this far, he's, he's, he's a one-year... He's, a, he's, he, he's another deal. For Geelong? Yeah. And, and, and it didn't happen. And it didn't happen... Um, and I and I f- found out later a, a couple of behind the scenes things and I, and look at, at the at the end of the day I f- felt like I made the right decision but there was a couple of things that happened after I made the decision because there was a few people that were quick to jump on me and Bomber was one um, he said a couple of things publicly which you know okay fair enough if that's how you think about this along the lines of that I was replaceable. Right. Which, of course, I am. Um, Not nice to hear as a professional athlete, though. No, it sort of it, it didn't it didn't make me feel good about the contribution that I'd given over a long period of time to the club. It was, it, but I understand that there's a bigger picture here with the club, and they needed to move on. Um, but the support I got, minus a couple of people, was amazing. Not just from majority of Geelong but the majority of the league yeah there wasn't a person that barracked for another club that wasn't excited for me about with the journey I was about to embark on <laughs> so I felt that support but the quote that Bomber um, said publicly I actually cut it out and laminated it and took it with me as part of the motivation to make it because I didn't want to come back to Geelong knowing I still had a year left knowing that if I didn't make it I'd wouldn't be able to just come back and start playing for Geelong again. It it was over essentially. So all that motivation and all the the hard work started then, because the training camp wasn't until another nine months in July. So I effectively trained for nine months for the unknown. Where were you living? What was your family set up? So in Geelong, right. Um, I'd go and find parks, I'd have mates, we'd have balls, we'd kick and punt and train and lift and run and I had no idea. Yeah, I, how did I, you know what you were trying to achieve? Well, I'd only really, Darren Bennett was the only one that was able to guide me. Um, he would come back and we'd have barbecues with the families and we'd talk about what it took and what I needed to focus on and we'd talk about the essence of punting and how to hold the ball and what they expected as far as technique and consistency and so at this stage you weren't playing for the cats but you had nothing lined up in america no so so the only so the decision was based on an opportunity at the jets right so the nfl europe which is the journey darren went on yeah wasn't available nfl europe folded um out of the workouts the, the four different clubs the four different to. teams yep um, the New York Jets was the most viable option, right? Because of the the punting situation. So their their punter finished last in the league, and he'd been released, and it was an open job, and they were bringing guys in to go for that job. So when you went to the to the other clubs, you mentioned the Patriots. Did you meet Brady? Yes. Right. So you roll up to New England Patriots, and you're there. Like, how long are you there for? But he's only he's not. Too, the Tom Brady no. we know now. He's, no. Yeah, he's... So are you there for three days, four days, one day? No, one day. One day. One day. Yeah, right. One day. Right. And so 
Eric Mangini was at the Patriots, but Ricky Nixon was my agent, and we did a lot of work around an American agent, and um, my agent was based in Boston, um, so I spent some time there. But the New York Jets, they'd been following me since Eric was there back in 97. Mm-hmm. The Giants got wind of it, so they wanted to work me out while I was there. Um, for some unknown reason, John McEnroe was at that workout. Was he? But this, but this is so... I was asked to kick off as well in that workout, and I'd never kicked a ball off a tee ever, and I was terrible. They were laughing behind their clipboards, like, who's this guy? <laughs> and to the point... Well, and the, and the Vikings workout was uh, that Darren was at the Vikings at that point, and he wanted to bring me in, and he wanted to have the organisation sign me, and he was going to retire after the lists were lodged, so that I became their punter by default. And uh-huh. they couldn't believe the special teams coach couldn't believe that Darren would would do that. Like that, no one in the NFL would just give up their job for someone else. Um, but as it turned out, the um, the New York Jets was the best opportunity because Mike Westoff was the special teams coach who was a little bit out there. He was a little bit uh, eccentric. He was older. And he'd already told them that he wanted to take a risk with someone. And I was someone that they saw as a huge leg that was an athlete from another sport that, yeah, I might have some things I needed to work on, but they were willing to, to work on it or at least bring me to camp and go into direct competition with another punter. So this is when I started to learn about, you know, there's two punters in camp and it's all great fun and we're good mates and we're going out punting together and playing golf. And But then you realise there's a point where only one of us is going to get this job. So then your competitive juices started flowing and they they put you up against each other and everything's recorded. Distance, hang time, get off time, direction, the hang time. I mean, it's it's... It's like a science. And he was a veteran, so he knew what he was doing, and I was just this kid that just got off the boat that, you know, I'd pick up a ball and, and kick it. Really, the the technique that I used, I'd been using since I could walk, whereas punters in the States, their techniques sort of learnt from college because they've been soccer players or they've been... Because okay. no one in America grows up wanting to be a punter. No. They turn to a punter... At some point later on in their life, when you're not going to be the quarterback, mm. right? That's right. So, you, at what point do you move to New York? Right. So, th- this was this was probably the the hardest part of being separated from the family was we. I needed to go there to work with the special teams coaches on punting with pads, with a helmet, on an NFL field, with an NFL snapper. So to do that, I had to move over there. And Did you have kids at this stage? Yeah, two girls, four and three. So they stayed back in, in Geelong, and I lived in the States for probably two months while I was trying to work on, on, on my craft, doing everything I possibly can. Trying to get a job still at this stage? Yeah, because the, the job... The contract wasn't coming until the end of camp. Mm-hmm. I still had to win the job, but that I didn't really understand that until later on in camp. But so living away was was hard. But then, one that we got too hard, that I moved them over with me. But we didn't want to set up shop in New York, thinking that we we're going to be there for the next ten years. We had to do. We did things 
on the absolute cheapest of cheap. We, we were living in basement apartments. We were driving cars that we'd have to get jump-started every morning. We were... we without a contract you can't get a social security number therefore you can't have credit you don't have health insurance you don't have you know it's, we just thought it was like australia but no it's so different all based on a working visa which you can't get without the contract so we had some horrific time um but we wanted to enjoy it we explored we we drive everywhere. People in New York would say to us, you've done more in the States in mm. a month than we've done in our whole lives. We just we just loved it. Was, yeah. there, was there a point when it was getting too hard? And if it gets to that point, how did you get through that point, which you obviously did? No, well, because I had their full support, we were going to give this everything. Um, and until that point, until we knew it, what that point was, we were, it was never going to be too hard. Um, it wasn't until later on in my career when it became too hard. Which we'll, we'll get to. Yeah. But that that training camp, um, there was a point where it was me against him and it was last man standing and the shit got serious. And we... <laughs> the The day, the moment that I knew I had the upper hand, we actually had a... Before the first pre-season game, we had a scrimmage in Albany against the Giants, and I'll never forget it. The special teams coach that worked me out for the Giants, who laughed behind his clipboard, walked past me while I was warming up before the punt period and said, you'll never make it. <laughs> really? So I've, so I've, we've, we've gone to our, our punt period, and the other the veteran had the right away so he had the first series of punts and punted the ball pretty well I had the next few and punted the ball pretty well he had the next couple and didn't punt the ball very well so I'm ready to step up to the line it's my turn and he's like giving me the no 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 I'll, I'll just let me go I've got the next couple he wanted to get back on track and hit a couple of bombs and keep his job well and yes and so Mike Westhoff the special teams coach ended up saying Micah Nah, you're done. Ben's got the rest. Well, the rest I absolutely nailed. Absolutely nailed. Best punt, 60 yards, all out of bounds, five and a half second hang time. And I think that was that was the thing that ended up um, winning me the job, or at least the coaches could would have trust that under that pressure, the first time I'd been under pressure against an opposition rush, mm. I was able to deliver. But it, it didn't end there. Um because because it was quite a story. The Jets had made the playoffs the last year. The punter was one of the only positions they were looking to upgrade. So every day there was a punting report in the New York Times and <laughs> the Daily News. It was it was a big deal, and there was and I got quite a lot of support because the media understood my story and my journey, and they wanted me to succeed. And Micah cracked it, and his missus started having a go in the media about how he was being treated unfairly and but it was it really it just came down to results and in the end um we'd had a day off from camp late in camp i'd taken my wife for the first time out um the kids were at home and took her to the movies and got out of the movies and there was a message on my phone from karen kraus from the new york times saying 
congratulations, I see Mike has been cut, you've won the job. <laughs> it was, uh, that was the moment that it was all worthwhile. All that hard work and the sacrifice and the, the, the decision and the, the angst and, you know, watching Geelong bow out in the semi in Sydney and, like, it, that was the moment that it was like, right, I've made it. Now let's get to work. So I got to the club the next day thinking that red carpet, thinking, <laughs> you know, bells and whistles, thinking nothing. 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 <laughs> nothing. No. Couple of pats on the back. You deserved it. Well done. Like it was because everyone was going through the same thing. Everyone was fighting for a job. Got from 90 to 53. Um, so then it just, a week later, we're at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City and I'm about to punt for the first time in the NFL. That's amazing, isn't it? Like, ah. Uh. And you've told the story well, the, the competitive side of it. So you, you've made your debut for Geelong. What, what was your debut in the NFL like? Well... Did you have belief that you could do it? Oh, the, by that point, there'd been a good six months of all I did was punt. And everything I'd prepared for or what I did or didn't know I was preparing for, it was the AFL that really prepared me to be in a professional athlete and to understand the pressures and the moment and and but all it comes down to doesn't matter how big or strong or fast it's about your punt can you punt the ball long and far and high so and it wasn't perfect back then Mike Westhoff just basically said you kick the ball as far as you can no there's no direction here. There's no finesse. There is just you put it down there, and our boys will cover their ass off. And so, in that first year, it was just balls out, and broke franchise records. And um, you know, the second year was named captain of the Jets because punters are seen as a guy over in the corner that they just bring on to punt the ball now and again. I was actually part of the team my journey and uh, the way I held myself in the locker room I was one of the one of the team but that that first day that first game it was on September 11 2005 and it was obviously a big day yeah in the history of of the United States uh, so everyone was emotional and I I'd asked so if I could wear the Australian flag on my helmet because on every helmet there's the American flag, and they said no, and they I understood why, but they're so patriotic, so patriotic. When the Blackhawks went over the stadium and the anthem was playing, I broke down. I was a mess, huh. just teared up. Um, everything that had happened to get to that point, and here here we were on a, on a historic day in America. So um, I remember it vividly and remember my first punt and punted well and had a good win and, like, it was it was a I, – I knew I belonged. It wasn't like I finished the game and went, shit, this is hard or, um, oh, no, I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. I felt like I belonged and, like I did at Geelong, 
thought that I was going to play for the Jets for the next 10 years. Don't worry, plenty more to come. More of Ben's incredible story in episode 67, part B. It is waiting for you right now, so go on, push on, and have a listen. Listener.